Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to StarTalk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and this is Star Talk. Chuck Nice. Chuck, welcome hey, back man. to the show. Thanks for having me back, Neil. I will not soon forget the the, the Super Bowl show, the, the football show. I you, was, you were on fire. Dude, man. that was great fun. You were you were I, you were out of control. That was great fun, man. <laughs> Ready to get back into it today and get high on science. We're gonna get really high on science. Uh, today's show is a tour of the solar system. Sweet. A tour of the solar system. I think every now and then you gotta take a tour of your backyard. Fantastic. That's, that's what you gotta do. We're gonna be our tour guide. I will be your tour guide, but I have some help from two very competent colleagues of mine. One of them, Steve Squires. He's the scientist behind the Mars rovers. Wow. You know, we, we all read about the rovers, and you saw pictures of the, right. of the, the, the terrain. He's in charge. And, and, and these are his babies. Did they blame him when they broke down? <laughs> <laughs> no, they blame him when they save. You know, these things should have broken down long ago. Oh, really? Way long ago. Oh, so cool. he's been saving them. Left. He's, he's their savior, as, as it were. Fantastic. We're also we'll be hearing from Heidi Hamill. She's a senior research scientist at the Space Sciences Institute in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, Colorado, cool. yeah, yeah. So that should be fun. But you know. You know who's a friend of Star Talk Radio? Uh, I do know Bill Nye, Bill Nye the science this, guy. So, are you were you influenced by him when you were a kid? I absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And by kid, if you mean twenty, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I got a hold of Bill Nye. By the way, lately he's the executive director of the Planetary Society. He oh, really? finally has like a real job, you know. Oh really? It's like it gets a paycheck and everything. I, yeah, you know, honestly, I always wonder what else does he do? What does he do except show up on TV and talk to kids? Exactly. No, no, he's actually talking to grown-ups now, including Congress. Okay. So he's going to start us off and give us, put us in a good way when need us, getting us to think about where we are in the solar system and where we might one day go. 
The most recognizable image to anyone on Earth is the Earth, as seen from space. When you look above you at night these days, I hope you notice occasional very bright objects among the stars, other planets. Humans have spent centuries trying to know all about them. By exploring the solar system, first with our eyes, then telescopes, and these days with extraordinary spacecraft, we have come to know that Mars is cold, Venus is hellishly hot, Saturn would float if it could, and our Earth is but one world among thousands of objects whirling about a common star. Between and beyond the planets are all manner of objects, comets, moons, asteroids, distant icy plutoids, and dust. Often as a young scientist, I'd be given a textbook with a place to write my name inside the cover. Below that, my street, my city, and state. But I'd go on. United States, North American continent, Earth, and Sun. Because we've explored our solar system, I could have added the third rocky ball from the medium-sized star. Have a look around. Your life is changed every day by explorers who've pondered our place in space. For Star Talk Radio, I'm Bill Nye, the science guy. That's my boy, Bill Nye. Nice. Okay, I just got to ask you, man. What's that? Plutoids? Plutoids. Is that yeah. like a cosmic mint? <laughs> Plutoids. A Plutoid? Uh, what a, that's a great a great product name there. Right <laughs> there. Be. We should start that out. Exactly. But what would your breath smell like? That's uh, the question. Uh, hope, hopefully not cosmic dust. <laughs> that's cosmic. Yeah. You've know, got to watch out what stuff smells like Plutoids. out there. So the solar system, uh, its formation was four and a half billion years ago from a huge giant gas cloud. And right in the middle of that gas cloud, where it's densest and hottest, that's where you get the sun. And that's what forms first. And then you get planets and other stuff forming around it. Okay. There was a day when if you learned about the solar system, right. it would be like an enumeration of the planets one after another. Sure. And But excuse me, that's, the solar system is so much more than that. From the moons around planets to to the dust in the plane of the, of the, of the solar system right. to, to asteroids, some of which hit the Earth, comets. Mm-hmm. It's a very rich, dynamic place. And in case you really want to geek out on the sun, okay. so the sun has an actual official classification code. Okay. It's a G, capital letter G, right? Arabic numeral two, okay. Roman numeral five. So G two five. Yes. In three different uh, <laughs> languages and letters and alphabets and number systems. Each one means something. Each different. one means something. Yes. Different. You want to geek out on the sun? That's what it would. That's what it is. Now, G2 why G two five? Because that really, I don't get it. Okay. So two five. G tells you what the temperature is. Okay. And Which is a gazillion degrees. Gazil- that's what G stands for. Really? Gazillion? No. <laughs> <laughs> for a moment, I almost <laughs> felt smart. I was like, I got it right. <laughs> so it stars in order of decreasing. Br- uh, temperatures O B A F G K M. Okay. So the sun is one of the cooler of the stars. Oh, yeah, you know it's, it is, it, baby, because it's here it's in our cool. solar ah, system. It's cool, but it's actually white hot. <laughs> okay. And the sun is often portrayed as yellow, but it's actually white. Just go outside and look. It's white <laughs> in broad daylight. It's white. <laughs> right. What happens when it gets low on the horizon? Then you can look at it without burning out your eyes. Hey, look, the sun is yellow orange because right. the atmosphere just changes. So color. those are particles in our atmosphere exactly. that actually change that the color. Cha- that ch- actually, what the particles do is scatter the blue light out of the rainbow, leaving behind the red and the orange. So basically, if you were in space, you would look at the sun. It'd be white no matter what. It'd be what white angle. no matter what. No matter how you burn put your, your eyes out, and that'd be the end of it. <laughs> that'd be the, the last experiment you did. <laughs> so what I've got is let's go to my let's go to my colleagues. Uh, they visited me in New York in my office. Steve Squires, principal investigator of the Mars rovers, professor of astronomy at Cornell University, and Heidi Hamill, who is who is total planet babe. This is she's all about planets. Sweet. And so let's find out what we all had to talk about. 
So, Steve, I keep thinking of you as like Mr. Mars. <laughs> Anytime I look up in the sky and Mars is there, I'm thinking of your two rovers there. When you look up at Mars in the night sky, is that what, do you think that too? You know, Mars. Or, would you just wish you were there? Mars looks different to me than it used to. It used to be, I, I can remember before we launched them, looking at Mars in the night sky and it just looked impossibly far away. So now it's your backyard. And I look at it now and I think I know this place. You're a kid playing it, it, in your backyard. It's a it, sandbox. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it just sandbox. To, it feels totally different for me to look, to, to look at Mars now than it did a long time ago. Yeah. Do you see it, though, Do you, when you see it in the sky, do the pictures from the rovers, is that what you see? Or? Uh, kind of, except I don't think in terms of pictures. I, I sort of feel like I know what, would it, what it would be like to be there. You know, not just the pictures of the surface, but I know what the clouds in the sky so look Heidi, like. The rovers, I know the seasons. The rovers know? are his avatar. <laughs> it kind of feels like that. Yeah, it does. And I, I, we've experienced Mars through those rovers for so long. I, I kind of feel like I know what the place is like now. Yeah, but are you now sort of, do you have Mars on the brain so that you? it's hard to think about the rest of the solar system? No. Heidi, Heidi, you get around the solar system, I sure right? I do. Yeah, I look at a lot of other planets besides just Mars. So you're not but just... we don't have that. We don't have those images. We don't have those rovers on the surface. So I still think a lot in pictures. Plus, half your planets don't have surfaces. Well, that's true, yeah. They've right. got, but they've got... So I have to ask, what's your favorite? You know, it changes with time. Uh, it's just like picking your children, right? Yeah, that's what... <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't play favorites. Uh-huh. You know, at different times, different planets do different things. Mm-hmm. And so if you were looking at, you know, Uranus at equinox, and it's busted out with And that's the official, clouds. it's not Uranus, right? It's Uranus. Yeah, you know, I kind of gave up on that whole thing. <laughs> I gave up on that. You, you know, matured. for a while I was on a mission to, to educate people about Uranus. And then my own hometown paper wrote a story about those yellow lights, you know, that they were trying for to cost efficiency. And the headline... Oh, for my, the nighttime, yeah, for, yeah, for street yeah, lights. Yeah, for, for street lights, right. Mm-hmm. Street lights at, at night so that it would be darker, um, less light pollution. And, and some people didn't like it. And they ran a headline about the Uranus-colored lights. <laughs> And that's when I gave up. But yeah, I would call it Uranus. Um, mm-hmm. That's more traditional. But, you know, when Voyager flew by Uranus in 1986, it was dead. There was like maybe 10 clouds if you really stretch the contrast. So Uranus is a big ball of gas with yeah. no surface features. And basically, yeah. I mean, that's right. If you and I were on a spaceship outside it, when Voyager flew by, when Voyager flew by, it didn't see anything. And so everyone thought it's dull and boring. Well, that's not what it's like right now. It's in a completely different season. And the atmosphere is turning on, and there's bright clouds, and there's dark spots, and there's all kinds of activity on this planet. And it's my favorite right now because it flies in the face of what we were taught in school about Uranus. We, you know, we were taught that... I remember the books. It's, yeah. it, it, Uranus, Uranus was an example of a boring... It's the boring one, yeah. The boring. Well, that's right, which is just absolutely not true right now. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. books are starting to finally catch up with reality. Now, Mars, of course, is a dynamic place. Yeah, it's changing all the time. I mean, it's got seasons very much like the Earth does, uh, very different at different times of year. It's it's not only very much like, it's like almost exactly like the Earth does, right? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. tipped how many? 25 degrees. 25, and we're 23. 23 and a half. And yeah, a half. so it's it's almost the same. The, rotates the year is longer, once, of course. Rotates once in how many? 24 hours and 39 minutes. And let me tell you, if you're operating rovers on Mars, that just plays havoc with your life. Okay, next time that happens to me, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, you know, you would think it would <laughs> be... Listeners, when you're operating rovers, <laughs> just just get get ready for this You know, you would advice. think it would be nice to be able to sleep in an extra 39 minutes each day, but it, it, it kind of adds yeah, up in weird it ways. It gets out of yeah. sync, doesn't it? Gets it gets out of sync. Oh, you think yeah. it's like... Uh, in, a slow jet lag. We lived on Mars time for months. We had Mars alarm clocks, Mars stopwatches. 
Uh, we had food service on Mars time, maid service in an apartment on Mars time. We had wow. blackout curtains on the windows, so you couldn't tell if it was daytime or nighttime. Or, it was like being in a casino. Did you adjust to it, or did you really feel human and terrestrial because we, your bodies couldn't adjust to it? Our bodies could adjust to it just fine as long as Earth did not interfere in our lives. In other words, the blinds on the windows were absolutely Th- That was fine, and if you have to live a day that's 2439, it's perfectly easy to lead unless you have to interact with real human beings in the real world so on Earth. You were basically like, basic, a, spouse. <laughs> like <laughs> a spouse or you yeah. walk your dog yeah. or something. <laughs> that sort of thing. So what you're saying is you were basically in a Mars habitat here yeah, on Earth. We kind of, we kinda of were, but then mm-hmm. there would be events, you know, somebody would decide there had to be a meeting at eight o'clock in the morning Pacific time. And if it's in the middle of my night, I was still expected to show up. And that was when it got difficult. Wait, I thought you were in charge. <laughs> uh, not when it came to interacting with the press. Okay. When we had press conferences, they were at 8 a.m. Pacific, and that was it. And, uh, yeah, that telling CNN that we want to have our press conference at 3 a.m. just didn't work real well. So the, pr- the press likes, likes, likes your rovers. They, I think they do. Wow. To geeking out on the planets, dude. Right that there. was like Geekapalooza. Geekapalooza, isn't it great? Each, everybody has a favorite planet. You know, yeah. How many people in the street? You know, just well, this is my favorite planet for these eleven reasons. You yeah. Know? Well, most people you ask, what's your favorite planet? They're gonna be like the one I'm standing <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> Not the one. Well, this one used to have no surface features, and then cloud layered. There's a whole analysis of what they follow and why, and right. and and it keeps them pumped every single day. Yeah. I'm just I'm just glad to know that Mars has seasons. Yes. Yes. And polar ice caps. And, and, polar, and yeah. This this accounts for its allure in the history of science fiction writing. Yeah. Why people have chosen Mars as a target for life more so than other planets. Oh, darling, I can't wait until we take spring in Mars. <laughs> not only that, what what we have on Mars is not only the rovers, they're orbiters as well, so that we can know where we might send the rovers next. Otherwise, you're kind of driving blind. And what's good about rovers is it's a mobile geologist, and you don't have to go there. Plus, the rover doesn't have to come back. Okay. See, if you send a human being, they probably they usually want to come back. Normally, <laughs> pro- you got to feed them. You know, right. you got to send a misanthrope. <laughs> I hate you guys. Yeah, yeah. Get the get out of here. Go, go to Mars. <laughs> so one of the things we found recently in Mars is methane emanating from the sides of ravines in Mars. Really? Yeah, and methane is the kind of gas that is produced within the anaerobic digestion of food. Okay, so. Actually, Mars is a big, giant fart, is what you're well, saying. Well, no, I'm, did I say, did I? Did I, I did. Okay. <laughs> you know, that sounds, Chuck, that's why we have you on the show. That actually <laughs> sounds more like Uranus. <laughs> no. or, or should I say Uranus? No, Uranus. Yes, <laughs> Uranus. We, were, we just got schooled on that one. Yeah. Uranus, that's what it is. Uranus. So uh, after the break, we'll talk about the search for life and how the search for water is driving the search for life. Because everywhere on Earth where you find liquid water, you find life. Every place, including places like the Dead Sea. The reason why they call it the Dead Sea, they right. didn't have a microscope to tell <laughs> the, what would do the backstroke. In the, but there are, there are things alive in the Dead Sea. Not fishes, but there's other stuff that's alive for sure. Right. And you are listening to Star Talk Radio. Follow us at StarTalkRadio.net. We are on Facebook, Star Talk Radio. And we we tweet at guess what Chuck Star Talk Radio at Star Talk Radio, <laughs> and I tweet the universe at Neil Tyson and uh, Chuck Nice. You I'm are at Nice Chuck Nice. Who said you were nice? <laughs> it certainly was me, because <laughs> nobody else is saying that. Nobody else is no, saying that for sure. I keep trying to convince people. You are listening to Star Talk. Stay tuned for another segment.
Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. Welcome back to Star Talk. Here's more of this week's episode. And we're talking about the solar system today, a tour of the solar system, basically. Right. We have two of the world's experts to serve that up. One is Steve Squires, who runs the Mars rovers, which we've all heard about. Everyone's heard about the rovers, even if you didn't know he was the man in charge. And there's a whole team, of course, but he's the, he's, he's the he's main. the top banana. The top banana. There you go. And Heidi Hamill, who's an all-around planet Geektress. I mean, is that the word? Geektress. Geektress. I like it. You just made it up. I like it. We make it right on the spot. And and so the solar system is full of a lot of sort of alien worlds. There are moons and planets and comets and asteroids and and one planet is different from the next. One moon is different from the next. Right. These are these are exotic places. Yes. Is there any place you one of these you might want to visit one day? Pandora. I just oh! love those blue people. <laughs> they're so adorable with their little tails, and I love them. <laughs> and, they're, and they're so they're so nimble on tree limbs. Exactly. <laughs> you worry about me sometimes. <laughs> you know, because there's so much going on in the solar system, not everything has a perfectly circular orbit around the sun. A circular orbit is the only orbit you can have and not hit something else. Okay. Uh, okay. If you do not have a circular orbit. There's a Chances chance are. you're going to get hit. You're going to hit something. Something's going to hit you. Now, from what I understand, aren't there planets here in our solar system that have an elliptical orbit? Yes. It, uh, uh, no, not anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> Pluto. Don't get not, me started on Pluto because uh, we'll take it outside. <laughs> 
Let's go, let's go back to Steve Squires and Heidi Hamill. They're going to tell us how, what kind of a shooting gallery the solar system actually is. Now, Heidi, you go way back with the press. My first encounters with you, as I think with many, were with the comet impact on Jupiter. You right. were like the face of the, the first, comet. The first impact on Jupiter. Yeah. There's more than one? We just had another one in July. Oh, I know about that. I forgot all been, about that. Been, I just, I've been busy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. It's an impact. It's, you know, it's the size of the Earth kind of thing. Big so, explosion. So Jupiter's kind of asking for it, right? Obviously. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's know, a big like, target. Well, it's there to take one on the chin for us. You know? It's a it's big like, target. That's, that's really it's true. That's really true. It's protecting us. It's protecting us. It's our big brother protecting us. But yeah, my first interactions with the press on any Mm -hmm. large scale were back in 94 when we were doing weather broadcasting from Jupiter. What what, what was going on every day on Jupiter? Absolutely. It was pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. So if that happens just in the last couple of decades, this must be going on all the time, right? We're not living in some special time when Jupiter's getting hit. We thought we might have been lucky the Mm -hmm. first time and when it happened just exactly 15 years later, we realized, hmm, maybe we aren't so lucky. All right, right. Now, here's a question. Now that you know what to look for, now that you know what an impact on Jupiter looks like, is there data mining you can do? Can you go you back know, through old pictures? Data mining. So it's like looking after, back. In, in even an, oh, after yeah. the 94 impact, some folks went and did do that. They went back and looked. We had the Planetary Patrol Telescopes. I don't know if you're aware of yeah. that. Mm. Network of 24-inch telescopes that were just studying Jupiter. You know, creating an archive of data. Exactly, yeah. and there's nothing like Shoemaker Levy Nine. Mm-hmm. You know, the big one in '94 was. There. So you would have seen it. The you pictures are good enough it. that you know. Absolutely, okay. that's right. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, do talk about the historical record. There's reports of Cassini himself, not Cassini the spacecraft, but Mr. Cassini, Cassini the guy. Cassini the guy who did. It's these weird drawings. to think of people with names after spacecraft. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence! Say, when you say Galileo, you know, we're talking about Galileo the guy or Galileo right. the spacecraft. Well, Cassini drew pictures. Of, or the European. Of, yeah. Navigation system. Yeah, right. That's right. Their counterpart right. to our GPS. you got to get some more astronomers' names in play. Like, he's up, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson. No. And <laughs> <laughs> name, mission named after you. You have people to die. Went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, oh, you don't yeah, want yeah. that. That's right. These are named after dead people. Yeah. Yes, okay. But people did go back and look. And, <clears throat> and they haven't seen conclusive evidence in the past of, of any big events like this. But I'll tell you, nowadays, these amateurs have terrific telescopes. Yeah. They have amazing well, uh, CCD well, uh, systems. Allow me to clarify. In most professions, if you accuse them of being an amateur, it would be an insult. Whereas in astronomy, amateur is a badge of pride and courage. Yeah. Well, and also they do terrific science now. There's a synergy between the professional astronomy community that basically has the really huge telescopes mm-hmm. and the amateurs who have smaller telescopes, but they're terrific and they have tons of time because the amateur just goes out at night and spends all night looking. Whereas And they're in every time zone. Every time zone yeah, all around yeah. the world. With these big telescopes like Hubble or the Keck 10 meter, you might get half an hour a year. Mm-hmm. And that's all the time you have to look at your objects. So the way we rely on the, the amateur community to feed us information about things like impacts on Jupiter. It was an amateur who spotted that and alerted the professional community. And this then this we later, the this, second impact. The second yeah, one, okay. that's right. So what, I'm sitting between two very different kinds of scientists now. One who, you, Heidi, who are still using telescopes. She's yeah. kind of behind the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking at things that are far away. You're still looking at them. And Steve, you're just there, you know? Yeah. For, yeah. You, you don't worry about the optics. You don't worry about bad weather. You're oh, just we there. worry about both of those, my friend. First of all, we got optics all over these rovers. Second, we are very, very sensitive to the weather on Mars. Okay. Well, but it just... is true that he can send spacecraft to his object and get them there within, you know, a reasonable funding cycle. Before he dies. Before yeah. he yes. dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
if we want to start talking about planets around other stars, yeah, we aren't going to be sending spacecraft. Yeah, or even even some of the uh, you know some of the the planets in the outer solar system. If you're talking about a Neptune, to, uh, a mission to Neptune, the time scales for pulling that off are very long. Well, it's so that's why the Pluto go. mission, the New Horizons, <laughs> that's on, that was like a light payload with some really huge engines right. to get yeah, it there. That's and, right. Yeah. 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 That one was that that was booked, and it's still on its way, and we got years to go. Yeah, yeah another five years. So it's it's humans attack the solar system. That's yeah. what this is about, Jack. That's I've learned some things, man. Well, this is what weird. This is at the point of the show. The the thing I learned uh, that most stuck out was that in astronomy, size matters. Yes, it does. Everybody has telescope envy. <laughs> yeah. So it, whatever size is your, te- in fact, if you go to astronomy conventions, how big is yours? Right. You know? <laughs> it's true. But here's the problem: at some point, you got to carry the thing to the observing site. And above a certain size, you just can't. You carry, can't do it. You, you, yeah, you right. can't even do it. So it's, yeah, I, I know what you mean. This mo- it's not Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck out of control. Okay, let me shut up. So what we have, so what we have going on in the solar system is the planets are no longer just dots of light with pretty atmospheric conditions that photograph through a telescope. We can actually go there and look at surface features. And so there's a whole frontier of planetary science called comparative planetology. And if there's a mountain on one planet, look for a mountain on the other. There's craters, valleys, uh, riverbeds. You compare one object to another. And and especially for the terrestrial planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. They're small. They're rocky. Right. And so we can learn about one by studying another. For example, so we can ask, well, while we've been going to Mars for the past 30 years, guess where the Soviet Union back in the old days, guess where they went the most? Yeah. Venus. Really? Yes. And they had a whole series of Venera Venera spacecraft. Venera yes, that's, spacecraft. Yes, that's what they're called. That's right, Venera. So that's the genitive. Kind of sounds like a medical condition. Well, that's all I'm saying. I'm just saying. Well, well, it's funny that you should ask. <laughs> because in, man, I got a bad case of Venera, man. Uh, that's what I'm, let me tell you. Go ahead. So what happened was astronomers, when we figured you try to come up with words of, for names for where you come from. If you're from Earth, Earthling. Okay. If you're from Jupiter, you're Jovian. If you're I Venus, did not know that. You didn't know that. You didn't. By Jove. No, you were, that, by Jove yeah, comes from. Jupiter, of course. Jupiter. Of course, yes. Okay. And so, and Venus would be Venusian. Venusian. If you're for, if you come from Venus, you're Venusian. Okay. And so the reason why we came up with Venusian is because the proper genitive form of Venus uh-huh. is venereal. And the medical doctors got to that word before we did. And that, I, I am so pissed off. That is so cool. I am so angry about that. And I, now it, they took the word right out right from out underneath. Right out from under you guys. And, and so they, and, and why name it after Venus? Mm-hmm. Because it's the diseases common to love and beauty and all that go with it. That makes sense. And that's Venus, the goddess of love and the, beauty. Oh my God. I'm just happy to know that, you know, this little condition I have that it needs antibiotics is so romantic. <laughs> TMI right there. <laughs> TMI. So, oh, it'll clear up. Don't n- worry. Now, here's the problem on Venus. Yeah, if we sent you to Venus, it would all be cleared exactly. up. Because it's 900 degrees Fahrenheit there. Oh, sweet. There's a runaway greenhouse effect going on there. And that makes it very hard to investigate because your metals melt. It'll melt lead, for example. You can't have wow. lead, lead solder or anything. Only it'll, Superman could do that. So uh, that's hot. Is, is that right? Yeah, his laser vision. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't, what's, what's funny, he couldn't see through lead. But yet he could melt it with his heat vision. Interesting. How crazy is that? That's crazy. You know, we're going to do a special show on the physics of superheroes. Get out. Should we invite? Should I get you back for that? Oh man, if you don't, you'll I be will out of Never speak to you again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, that's that's not. Few, we'll we'll work that one out. And so, of these destinations, Pluto is on our targets. The ex-planet Pluto. 
Okay. It's got a, what's called the New Horizons mission. It's booking. It's the fastest hunk of hardware we have ever sent anywhere. Wow. It's on its way to Pluto right now. It'll get there in 2015. And that's we're headed there. And so that's one hell of a road trip. It's, it's one hell of a road trip. And it's, it's on hugely powerful rockets because the principal investigator of that mission wants to make sure you get to Pluto before he dies. See, that's how that works. <laughs> this is a number one rule. Of it's like a trip to my mother-in-law's house. <laughs> scientific investigation. And so they're all we have spacecraft going to comets, to asteroids, and so we're all over the solar system now. It's a, it's a fun time to be alive because the solar system is no longer this distant place. Wow. And when we come back after the break, I, as I promised before, we're going to talk about life, the search for life in the universe. What are the conditions that a planet or an object have to have right. in order for there to have life as we know it? Right. Because maybe this could be some stuff that, that life as you don't know. You're listening to Star Talk Radio. Stay tuned. More up next. Welcome back. Here's more of Star Talk. Now, we're not going to Pluto to look for life. It's too cold. It's too far. It's too dark. It's too everything that we can imagine that could serve life. But there are other places in the solar system that could serve this need. And we talked to two of my favorite colleagues, Steve Squires and Heidi Hamill, two sol- We had a geek fest in my office. Geeking out. We were geeking out on the solar system. They're, they're just giddy. I can hear we the were giddy. giggling now. We were giddy. Let's, <laughs> let's find out what they say about our search for life in the solar system. We love the planets, but the real goal is we want to find life. Mars has been a seductive prospect for life since the beginning, since Lowell. Yep. Okay, Percival Lowell yep. thought he saw Mars. A little misled, but you yeah, know, okay. he, had the, he had the right idea. His heart was in the right place. Yeah, his heart was in the right place. <laughs> you know, he's the one who invented the canal story. Mm-hmm. Go quickly tell us that, the canal story. Real well, quick. basically what happened was that people looked through a telescope and they saw in moments, yeah, hundred years ago, in moments of brief atmospheric clarity, they could see what looked like a fine network of straight lines on the planet's surface. And they were so straight and so regular that the people looking at these concluded that not only were they evidence of life, they were evidence of intelligence life. Now, they were correct, but the life was at the wrong end of the telescope. <laughs> what they were seeing was an optical illusion. And, uh, and didn't know enough about illusions to... to yeah, and, and, and in fact, there, there's nothing of the sort on the surface of Mars. But as we've learned in recent decades, Mars is very interesting in other ways. Nonetheless. Yes. Nonetheless, with possible evidence of running water. So the two water places that I know of is Europa, one of Jupiter's moons, one of my favorite places just to think about, to dream about, because I want to go ice fishing on Europa one day. Yeah. And, of course, Mars, yeah. possibly under undersurface aquifers. And, Heidi, how is Europa kept warm? It's Europa, not the sun. No, yeah. it's really kind of a gravitational tidal pumping um, mm-hmm. with the other moons around Jupiter that kind of bend it. You know, the analogy I use is if you take a credit card and you bend it back and forth, I try not it to, gets warm. I try not to do that. With old credit cards. Piece of coat hanger wire. Coat mm-hmm. hanger. A paper clip. How's yeah. that? Okay. You bend a paper clip back and forth a whole bunch and you touch it, you feel it gets warm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. The same thing is happening with this moon. You know, Europa and Io, they're kind of getting flexed and bent, flexed and bent, and it heats them up. And you know what? Don't forget about Enceladus when you're talking about water worlds. Enceladus, we now know, is just moon of moon of Saturn. Saturn. A little tiny one, too. It's also tidally heated. Mm-hmm. Tidally heated, yeah. the same flexing to heat it up, but it's just blasting water out of its southern pole. 
geysers, basically. Are, are these not ice volcanoes, or, or what are... No. It's liquid water coming out? It's water. Yeah, it, it, you can think of it as volcanoes. It's just that the magma is water instead of being molten rock. I mean, It's pressure that builds up and it spews water. It's water. water. I mean, yeah. you could, mm-hmm. if you flew a spacecraft through it and collected it and you were able to have it at room temperature, you could drink it. And, of course, every place on Earth we have liquid water, we have life. So therein is the temptation. That's so where the temptation is. What would you bet on, Mars or, or Europa as a the place, if there's life other than Earth in the solar system, that we would find it? Today. Today. Yeah, see, that's the question. Is are you talking about life today or life ever existed? Because it's a life different today. question. Today, you know, I would say Europa. If I knew how to Europa, do, not Mars. If I if and I knew how, Mars do. if I knew how to do submarines on Europa, I wouldn't be screwing around with rovers on Mars. Yes, Ooh. sir. Ooh. What if you Ooh. dug down into Mars? Doesn't it get warmer? Yeah, yeah it does. Can't you, it you does. Got, and you got water as you get further. Yeah, well, I don't know how. I don't know how to drill down hundreds of meters on Mars. Either. Well, you don't they're know. Well, but, but you know, if but, you don't but, know how to drill on Europa. But if they're really, if they're, yeah, I mean, they're both huge technological challenges. But if there truly is, well, wait, just how thick is the ice on Europa, approximately? Well, we, don't. we don't even know no, for sure that. that there's an ocean there. Well, I'm, I saw the picture. Ten kilometers, it's unproven. Kilometers. It's likely, but I it is I saw unproven. the ice. It looks like... I, I know. make a picture for you, Neil. You it looks like, ice. but you're going to spend tens of billions of dollars doing a submarine mission to an ocean that you don't know for sure exists? Okay. All right. We got work to do there. We so. got, yeah, we've right. we got to learn a lot about the environment. I want this to happen in my lifetime. Uh, and we've got two key people eat, here. You know, eat healthy, get lots know. of exercise, okay? <laughs> yeah, go on that low-calorie diet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. 1,700 calories a day. That'll yeah. and get wear you my, an extra year per year. Or something. Wear my seatbelt, too. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Um, what might happen in your lifetime is we may find Earth-like planets around other stars in a distance from that star where water could be liquid. Yep. I'll tell you another one that could happen in your lifetime, and that is bringing rock samples back from Mars that contain definitive evidence, one way or the other, Fossilized. on whether or not there was life at the location from which the rocks came. And ideally, you get to choose your own rocks. Yeah, see, I mean, we have rocks from... In fact, I'm sure you've got them in your museum here. Mm-hmm. We've got rocks from Mars here on Earth in the form of meteorites, but these are rocks that literally fell from the sky. Hmm. We don't know where on Mars they came from. We didn't pick them. They just came here. They don't have the pedigree that you need to... Order Mars, and- Mars is a very, very complex place geologically, and to be perfectly honest, most of Mars is pretty boring. Most of Mars is just covered with lava, very dry, very desolate. Solid no lava. That water was there. Solid <laughs> lava, yeah. Yeah, solid lava. And, and, and you know, very ancient volcanic rocks and uh, evidence for life. You're not going to find a place like that. To find it, you got to go to the special places where you have the right minerals, the right sediments, the kind of stuff that can preserve evidence of ancient, habitable, watery conditions. And those are few and far between. Okay, so we have Mars as a good example of where to look for evidence of past life. Europa as a place to look for possible evidence. Uh, of you could life. you could look for evidence of current life on Mars as well, but you probably have to drill deep, and that's hard. Geekfest continues. Man, that was serious. Now, Chuck, you realize that interview in my office took place a few weeks before the announcement that we found Goldilocks planets orbiting the, right. uh, exo, uh, exoplanets orbiting distant stars. Yeah, where they're close enough or far enough from the sun where they can have water and at the right distance, not too right close, distance, not too close, not too far. You evaporate too Hence far. Hence the Goldilocks, right? They Goldilocks, exactly. <clears throat> and so, for them to say this will happen in your lifetime, then happen three weeks later, you know. <laughs> you ask, you receive. <laughs> yeah, like they forked it up. Right. Uh, we we have a tweet that asked, someone asked from a tweet. This is Trudvertite. That's the Twitter handle. Is the thought of exploring and terraforming Mars 
even relevant if we can't even take care of our own planet? Yes, it is. Let me just feel this one. Okay, this one because goes to Chuck, we're, apparently. We're going to need a place to go. After we mess up the earth. Because <laughs> we're screwing this one up royally, buddy. So we need a place to go. Okay, so you, you have the opposite sense of this question. This question is, we don't deserve another planet if we can't take care of our own. You're saying it's because we can't take care of our own that we got to have the planet. Absolutely. My, my reply is, if, you're terif- if you have the power to terraform another planet, mm-hmm. you have the power to fix your own planet. Wow. Just think about that. Wow. If you have that much control over geoengineering, right. what's, a, what's, a, what's a few degrees warming? Just crank the knob that lowers the temperature Exactly, because you'll know what to do. you know exactly what to do. Basically, you'll be able to create a, a geothermal thermostat. A thermostat. Exactly. Ooh, basically. Awesome phrase. Yeah. Chuck. Yeah. I just, I don't even know where that came a from. A geothermal thermal thermostat. thermostat. Awesome. Dude, hanging out with you is rubbing oh. off on me. Ooh, this is that great. just felt good. I felt smart for a second. <laughs> Still don't know what I said. And so we got these. (laughs) (laughs) And so so you got these places. You know, Heidi raised an interesting point. And that if you're looking around for other solar systems, star systems, we don't know yet how common our star system is. Okay. We've got these eight planets. Get over it. (laughs) We've got eight. We've got sort of Earth and Mars sort of in the Goldilocks zone. But we have these places outside of the Goldilocks zone kept warm. In the case of Jupiter, it's Jupiter's gravity stressing the moons. By the way, in the old days, people said, let's find a planet with life. But you can have a moon if the moon is big enough. Why not have life on a moon? Right. And if the host planet keeps the moon warm, you don't even have to be in the Goldilocks zone of the host star. So now when you guys were talking about this, wait a minute. Tidal heat. Oh, tidal heat, yes. Is that when the gravity moves the planet back and forth or stretches it? It stretches. And, it's and a that stretch, creates the heat. It's a stretching kind of gravity. And it does oh. that to the to the water, the oceans of the Earth that stretches them. And you, t- Earth turns inside and out of the stretched ocean on the Earth. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're listening to Star Talk. Stay tuned for another segment. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement. While another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. 
Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Welcome back to Star Talk. Here's more of this week's episode. There's a recent data that was released that had a set of a thousand stars, a thousand planets orbiting other stars. And so it tripled the number of, of total. So we went from 500 to now 1,500 stars, 1,500 planets. 1,500 planets. In orbit around stars that are not the sun. Okay. And out of those, there's about 40 or 50 Goldilocks planets that were found. So there's about 40 or 50 other Earths uh, floating around out that there. That could sustain they liquid could water. could sustain our life. Or, or water. Jupiter-sized planets with moons that are outside the Goldilocks zone. So we, we're casting a pretty wide net in the search for this. Do you realize this whole field, the search for life in the universe, it's called astrobiology. That's a term. If you went 20 years ago, the term never didn't even, no one knew how to use it. Nobody even knew. They, it was not really part of the parlance of scientific discourse. And it's a field essentially invented by NASA. Right. So t- 15 years ago, that would have been just called BS. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need data. Data converts BS to to, to real, to, right. to real, to real discourse. Uh, Carl Sagan was, of course, a, a, a very early proponent of the search for life in the universe, and we can say we can call him the father of astrobiology in that sense. Okay. Although there are other people who had done sort of Earth-based bio experiments that preceded that. But you want to stay current on the frontier of astrobiology? Right. There's an online NASA magazine called Astrobio. Astrobio.net. Dot net. The astrobio.net. For all of your astrobiology needs, <laughs> it's astrobio.net. So now one of the, one of the great frontiers here is where you have to ask, how are you going to explore the nearby planets or the distant ones? Do you send a robot? Do you send a human? Mm-hmm. Do you send a robot to do what a human can do? Or what, like, that's, this is the major issue, a major question. And I brought that up with Steve Squires and Heidi Hamill. And let's see what, what, their take is on it. One of them is a geologist and one of them is a telescope astronomer. Let's see where they take us on this issue. Given the choice, because it costs more to send people than to yes. send robots. If you had the choice of sending 30 robots to 30 different locations on Mars, or you going yourself, as a scientist, not as adventurer, explorer, Indiana Jones hat-wearing expedition head, I'm talking about... Well, how about a... if we talk about sending you instead? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you be able to come back? <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I, I forgot about whether we should bring them back. Now, look, I see where you're going with where, this. Where's the trade-off? The answer, my personal answer, is that I would send a human. Okay? And I'll give you two reasons for that. One reason is that what humans can do is so much greater than what robots are capable of now or for the foreseeable future. Wait a minute. Every time we, every time we send a human, they bring out a black box that, that makes the measurement. Well, why not make the robot? Pull out the black No, box. no, no. There's, there's much more to it than that. Okay, Neil, I have spent the last 20 years of my life trying to design and operate robots that can replicate what a human might be able to do on the Martian surface. What our rovers do in a day, you and I could do in about 30 seconds. That's one thing. The other thing is that humans have a capability to synthesize information, to digest it, to figure out the next thing to do, and to improvise Robots can't improvise the way humans can. But it's not just that we're not there yet. I mean, Moore's law get us a, you know, this ever increasing rate of. I think you've got a you've you got know. a couple of million years of evolution to, yeah, to go. Yeah. I, to I, that we, point. We're we're very very far away from that. The other reason that I would send humans. So the brain is, is still a pretty good it's device. A terrific process. Very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very very good. The other reason I would send humans is that humans have a capability to inspire that robots simply lack. Someone once famously said, nobody's ever going to give a robot a ticker tape parade. And there is something to that. It's a little squishy, it's a little intangible, but I will tell you that our rovers 
were built by people like me who grew up in the 60s and 70s watching Mercury and Gemini and Apollo on TV and dreaming of sending spaceships to Mars someday. And now we do that, okay? We were inspired by what we saw as kids. And I think sending humans does that in a way that robots never will. So I think there's a real value to it. Where do you want to go? We could send you somewhere. And bring you back. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a lot of great stuff in the solar system to see. And just picking off the low-hanging fruit, you know, I'd I'd love to... Where would you go? Where where would you go? The the next place that I would go... The fruit wouldn't have to be low-hanging. Reach for it. Where would you go? I'm so intrigued by the outer solar system because we know so little about it. It's good scientific juices flowing here. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we just know absolutely nothing about it. You're drawn to where you are most ignorant. Yeah, because this is, that's this is where a you rare learn state. The most. <laughs> most people are only comfortable where they know the most. But no, no, yeah. I want to. I want to, you know, uncover some of these these things that we just don't know. So give me a place. I would like to go to Neptune. Ooh. Neptune, yeah, Neptune's I'd love beautiful. To go to Neptune. Place. Orbit ne- Neptune. Yeah, mm-hmm. because you know that planet system, not just the planet itself, but it's got an incredible ring system that's chunky and and it's not smooth and beautiful like Saturn's it's clumpy it's very odd very dynamic it's changing with time it's got a terrific moon called Triton which was captured it wasn't born with Neptune it was some object that just got oops too close and Neptune stolen stole it grabbed yeah. from interplanetary space this thing is space. like a twin to Pluto and mm-hmm. it, we know that it has Triton is a twin Triton. Yeah. Is a twin to Pluto. We know it has ice volcanoes. It's got geysers. We've seen them. And so this moon is dynamic and changed. So the whole planetary system has something for everyone. I mean, we'll just learn so much. So you're, you're attracted by the abject ignorance of what we know of the system. That's what Plus, it's just you. really alien. It's a it's, really yeah, alien place. Mm-hmm. It's very different. I mean, these ice giants are, are just so different from Earth. I mean, they don't have surfaces. You couldn't no, really land yeah. on it. But you could land on one of its moons, and that would be... Earth. See, since I'm fundamentally a, like a galactic person, not, in, not a planet person, my destination within the solar system has nothing to do with how much we know. It's just what looks the coolest. Yeah. Right, so, where, so where would you go? <laughs> where would you go? I would What's so you? go to Titan and, to just, Titan and just watch Titan... The, that's the one with the rivers of methane. Lakes of liquid methane. And meanwhile, you're orbiting Saturn. I mean, well, I'll tell you, 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 if you want to go there, you really better eat healthy and get plenty of exercise. <laughs> it's going to take a while. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, for being on Star Talk. Chuck, you know, if we find life on Europa, you know what we should call it? What? Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to Star Talk Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Many thanks to our comedian, our guest, our experts, and I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Until next time, I bid you to keep looking up. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.